This is a Drama Merchant audio production. The Drama Merchant offers you the Radio Play Hour. Radio Play Hour offers you some readers' theatre with The Master of the World, written by Jules Verne. Chapter 4. A Meeting of the Automobile Club. Was the mystery of the Great Eyrie to be solved some day by chances beyond our imagining? That was known only to the future. And was the solution a matter of the first importance? That was beyond doubt, since the safety of the people of the Western Carolina perhaps depended upon it. Yet, a fortnight after my return to Washington, public attention was wholly distracted from this problem by another very different in nature, but equally astonishing. Towards the middle of that month of May, the newspapers of Pennsylvania informed their readers of some strange occurrence in the different parts of the state. On the roads which radiated from Philadelphia, the chief city, there circulated an extraordinary vehicle of which no one could describe the form, or the nature, or even the size, so rapidly did it rush past. It was an automobile, all were agreed on that, but as to what motor drove it, only imagination could say. And when the popular imagination is aroused, what limit is there to its hypotheses? At that point, The most improved automobiles, whether driven by steam, gasoline, or electricity, could not accomplish much more than 60 miles an hour, a speed that the railroads, with their most rapid expresses, scarce exceed on the best lines of America and Europe. Now this new automobile, which was astonishing the world, travelled at more than double this speed. It is needless to add that such a rate constituted an extreme danger on the high roads, as much so for vehicles as for pedestrians. This rushing mass, coming like a thunderbolt preceded by a formidable rumbling, caused a whirlwind which tore the branches from trees along the road, terrified the animals browsing in adjoining fields, and scattered and killed the birds, which could not resist the suction of the tremendous air currents engendered by its passage. And a bizarre detail to which the newspapers drew particular attention, the surface of the roads was scarcely even scratched by the wheels of the apparition, which left behind it no such ruts as are usually made by heavy vehicles. At most, there was a light touch, a mere brushing of the dust. It was only the tremendous speed which raised behind the vehicle such whirlwinds of dust. It is probable, commented the New York Herald, that the extreme rapidity of motion destroys the weight. Naturally, there were protests from all sides. It was impossible to permit the mad speed of this apparition which threatened to overthrow and destroy everything in its passage. But how could it be stopped? No one knew to whom the vehicle belonged, nor whence it came, nor whether it went. It was seen but for an instant as it darted forward like a bullet in its dizzy flight. How could one seize a cannonball in the air as it leapt from the mouth of the gun? I repeat, there was no evidence as to the character of the propelling engine. It left behind it no smoke, no steam, no odour of gasoline or any other oil. It seemed improbable, therefore, that the vehicle ran by electricity, and that its accumulators were of an unknown model, using some unknown fluid. The public imagination, highly excited, readily accepted every sort of rumour about this mysterious automobile. 
It was said to be a supernatural car. It was driven by a spectre, by one of the chauffeurs of hell, a goblin from another world, a monster escaped from some mythological menagerie. In short, the devil in person, who could defy all human intervention, having at his command invisible and infinite satanic powers. But even Satan himself had no right to run at such speed over the roads of the United States without a special permit, without a number on his car, and without a regular license. And it was certain that not a single district had given him permission to go over 200 miles an hour. Public security demanded that some means be found to unmask the secret of this terrible chauffeur. Moreover, it was not only Pennsylvania that served as the theatre of his sportive eccentricities, the police reported his appearance in other states, in Kentucky near Frankfurt, in Ohio near Columbus, in Tennessee near Nashville, in Missouri near Jefferson, and finally in Illinois in the neighborhood of Chicago. The alarm having been given, it became the duty of the authorities to take steps against this public danger. To arrest or even halt an apparition moving at such speed was scarcely practicable. A better way would be to erect across the road solid gateways with which the flying machine must come in contact sooner or later and be smashed into a thousand pieces. Nonsense, declared the incredulous. This madman would know well how to circle around such obstructions. And, if necessary, added others, the machine would leap over the barriers. And, if he is indeed the devil, he has, as a former angel, presumably preserved his wings, and so he will take to flight. But this last was but the suggestion of foolish old gossips who did not stop to study the matter. For if the king of Hades possessed a pair of wings, why did he obstinately persist in running around on the earth at the risk of crushing his own subjects, when he might more easily have hurled himself through space as free as a bird? Such was the situation when, in the last week of May, a fresh event occurred which seemed to show that the United States was indeed helpless in the hands of some unapproachable monster. And after the new world, would not the old in its turn be desecrated by this mad career of this remarkable automobilist? The following occurrence was reported in all the newspapers of the Union, and with what comments and outcries it is easy to imagine. A race was to be held by the Automobile Club of Wisconsin over the roads of that state of which Madison is the capital. The route laid out formed an excellent track about 200 miles in length, starting from Prairie du Chon on the western frontier, passing by Madison and ending a little above Milwaukee on the borders of Lake Michigan. Except for the Japanese road between Nikko and Namode, bordered by giant cypresses, there is no better track in the world than this of Wisconsin. It runs straight and level as an arrow for sometimes 50 miles a stretch. Many are noted where the machines entered for this great race. Every kind of motor vehicle was permitted to compete, even motorcycles, as well as automobiles. The machines were of all makes and nationalities. The sum of the different prizes reached $50,000, so that the race was sure to be desperately contested. New records were expected to be made. Calculating on the maximum speed hitherto attained, of perhaps 80 miles an hour, this international contest covered 200 miles would last about three hours. And, to avoid all danger, the state authorities of Wisconsin had forbidden all other traffic between Prairie du Chan and Milwaukee during three hours on the morning of the 30th of May. Thus, if there were any accidents, those who suffered would be themselves to blame. 
there was an enormous crowd, and it would not be composed only of people of Wisconsin. Many thousands gathered from neighboring states of Illinois, Michigan, Iowa, Indiana, and even from New York. Among the sportsmen assembled were many foreigners. English, French, Germans, and Austrians, each nationality of course supporting the chauffeurs of its land. Moreover, as this was the United States, the country of the greatest gamblers in the world, bets were made of every sort and of enormous amounts. The start was to be made at 8 o'clock in the morning, and to avoid crowding and the accidents which must result from it, the automobiles were to follow each other at two-minute intervals along the roads whose borders were black with spectators. The first ten races, numbered by lot, were dispatched between 8 o'clock and 20 minutes past. Unless there was some disastrous accident, some of these machines would surely arrive at the goal by 11 o'clock. The others followed in order. An hour and a half had passed. There remained but a single contestant at Prairie du Chan. Word was sent back and forth by telephone every five minutes as to the order of the races. Midway between Madison and Milwaukee, the lead was held by a machine of the Renault brothers, four-cylindered, of 20 horsepower and with Michelin tires. It was closely followed by a Harvard Watson car and by a Dion Bouton. Some accidents had already occurred, other machines were hopelessly behind, not more than a dozen would contest the finish. Several chauffeurs had been injured, but not seriously, and even had they been killed, the death of the men is but a detail, not considered of great importance in that astonishing country of America. Naturally, the excitement became more intense as one approached the finishing line near Milwaukee, there were assembled the most curious, the most interested, and there the passions of the moment were unchained. By 10 o'clock, it was evident that the first prize, $20,000, lay between five machines, two American, two French, and one English. Imagine, therefore, the fury with which the bets were being made under the influence of national pride. The regular bookmakers could scarcely meet the demands of those who wished to wager. Offers and amounts were hurled from lip to lip with feverish rapidity. One to three on the Harvard Watson. One to two on the Dion Bouton. Even money on the Renault. These cries rang along the line of spectators at each new announcement from the telephones. Suddenly, at half past nine by the town clock of Prairie du Chan, two miles beyond that town, was heard a tremendous noise and rumbling which proceeded from the midst of a flying cloud of dust, accompanied by the shrieks like those of a naval siren. Scarcely had the crowd's time to draw to one side to escape a destruction which would have included hundreds of victims. The cloud swept by like a hurricane. No one could distinguish what it was that passed with such speed. There was no exaggeration in saying that its rate was at least 150 miles an hour. The apparition passed and disappeared in an instant, leaving behind it a long train of white dust, as an express locomotive leaves behind a train of smoke. Evidently, it was an automobile with a most extraordinary motor. If it maintained this arrow-like speed, it would reach the contestants in the forefront of the race, it would pass them with the speed double their own, it would arrive first at the goal. And then from all parts arose an uproar, as soon as the spectators had nothing more to fear. It's that infernal machine. Yes, the one the police cannot stop, but it's not been heard for a fortnight. It was supposed to be done for, destroyed, gone forever. It's the devil's car driven by hell fire and with Satan driving. In truth, if he were not the devil, who could this mysterious chauffeur be? Driving with this unbelievable velocity, he is no less mysterious machine. 
At least it was beyond doubt that this was the same machine which had already attracted so much attention. If the police believed that they had frightened it away, that it was never to be heard of more, well, the police were mistaken, which happens in America as elsewhere. The first stunned moment of surprise having passed, many people rushed to the telephones to warn those further along the route of the danger which menaced not only the people, but also the automobiles scattered along the road. When this terrible madman arrived like an avalanche, they would be smashed to pieces, ground to powder, annihilated. And from the collision, might not the destroyer himself emerge safe and sound? He must be so adroit, this chauffeur of chauffeurs. He must handle this machine with such perfection of eye and hand that he knew, no doubt, how to escape from every situation. Fortunately, the Wisconsin authorities had taken such precautions that the road would be clear except for contesting automobiles. But what right had this machine among them? And what said the racers themselves who, warned by telephone, had to sheer aside from the road in their struggle for the grand prize? By their estimate, this amazing vehicle was going at least 130 miles an hour. Fast as was their speed, it shot by them at such a rate that they could hardly make out even the shape of the machine. A sort of lengthened spindle, probably not over 30 feet long. Its wheels spun with such velocity that they could scarce be seen. For the rest, the machine had left behind it neither smoke nor scent. As for the driver, hidden in the interior of his machine, he had been quite invisible. He remained as unknown as when he first appeared on the various roads throughout the country. Milwaukee was promptly warned of the coming of this interloper. Fancy the excitement the news caused. The immediate purpose agreed upon was to stop this projectile, to erect across its route an obstacle against which would smash it into a thousand pieces. But was there time? Would not the machine appear at any moment? And what need was there since the track ended on the edge of Lake Michigan? And so the vehicle would be forced to stop there anyway, unless its supernatural driver could ride the water as well as the land. Here also, as along the route, the most extravagant suggestions were offered. Even those who would not admit that the mysterious chauffeur must be Satan in person allowed that he might be some monster escaped from the fantastic visions of the apocalypse. And now there were no longer minutes to wait. Any second might bring the expected apparition. It was not yet eleven o'clock when a rumbling was heard far down the track and the dust rose in violent whirlwinds. Harsh whistling shrieked through the air warning all to give passage to the monster. It did not slacken speed at the finish. Lake Michigan was not half a mile beyond, and the machine must certainly be hurled into the water. Could it be that the mechanician was no longer master of his mechanism? There could be little doubt of it. Like a shooting star, the vehicle flashed through Milwaukee. When it had passed the city, would it plunge itself to destruction in the waters of Lake Michigan? At any rate, when it disappeared at the slight bend in the road, no trace was found of its passage. The Radio Play Hour has presented to you Chapter 4 of The Master of the World, written by Jules Verne and narrated by Nathan Schultz. Visit our website for the Pay What You Think scheme and enjoy the entire story at your own pace. For the first eight weeks, pay as little as $3 for the full experience. If you like, you can also purchase the ebook to read along. Music featured in this episode is by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects were designed by the drama merchant himself, Nathan Schultz. All proceeds from this production goes towards purchasing the music from Kevin McLeod. Thank you for listening.
This is a Drama Merchant Audio production. 